Hey everyone, welcome to Founders 365 with me, Stephen Haggerty. Today, I'm joined by leadership and business growth coach, Mr. Mark Green. How are you today, Mark? Oh, I'm great. Hi, Stephen. Glad to be with you today. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. First and foremost, let's just jump straight into this. Leadership and business growth coach, tell me about what you do and who you help. For sure. My space right now is working with CEOs running mid-market firms, which in the United States is businesses with eh, 30 to 400 million in Mm -hmm. turnover or annual revenue. And uh, I work with the CEO and their executive team as a team and help them put things in place so that they can scale the business profitably faster and with less effort more sustainably over time. Fantastic. The obvious question straight away. How did you get into this space? So I am living my dream, uh, <laughs> although although I couldn't have told you that this at the time. Uh, you know, you turn the clock back to young Mark in middle school and high school, and I was the guy that everybody wanted to talk to. And mm-hmm. I, liked li- I liked listening, and I had a lot of friends. And the same thing happened through college. Got a psychology and a business degree um, and bounced around in a large company and then moved into some smaller businesses and had an opportunity in 2003 to step back and say, all right, now what do I want to do in my career? And that was the moment that I threw my hat in the entrepreneurial ring and said, I want to, I want to, I want to become a practitioner and do my own thing and launch my business as a leadership development training company. And uh, so since then it's iterated and I've been in the current business model uh, for about the past 11 years now. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I really love the model of the fact that you go in and you don't just work with the CEO, but you work with the executive team. Uh, I think that's a a factor that really does get overlooked a lot. To be honest, let's face it, nine out of 10 times from most other coaches. Yeah, I, I am a proponent of one-on-one coaching for sure. If mm-hmm. there's uh, somebody who's trying to work through an issue or their own leadership development, but if your aim is to scale a business yeah. And and you're a CEO working one-on-one with a coach in in my opinion and actually my experience is much less effective than getting the whole team together with the coach. And the reason is quite frankly that if you're working one-on-one with a coach, well then it's incumbent on you to learn the lessons and then you become the coach for your team, right? Mm-hmm. And bring all of that back to them as opposed to why not just put everybody in the same room? And the other thing that it does for me as a practitioner is it allows me to give my clients feedback because I get to see them in front of their team. Mm. And I get to see their team as a team. And uh, we have a lot of people conversations. And uh, I get a lot of insight that way that proves very, very valuable because people issues are, starting with the executive team, it's always the number one thing that yeah, we've, we've got to deal with uh, with a new client for sure. What is what are some of the most common challenges you come across then? Because if you're working with very similar sort of businesses, very similar sort of <laughs> sizes, you you're obviously going to see patterns in this. Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with people because it's a it's a very consistent pattern. Mm-hmm. We we uh, as leaders tolerate way more than we should. Okay, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but it, it's it a lot of it stems, in my opinion, from our own standing on shaky ground. Like we might not be leading by example the way we should, and so therefore, I'm hesitant to challenge someone else because then all of a sudden I'm I need to be accountable myself. 
So, so that's something that's a, that's a factor. And what I found is something on the order of 80% of my clients within the first six to 12 months of the engagement turn over at least one member of the executive team. Mm -hmm. That okay. is not surprising. And, and it's because part of what we bring to the table is clarity and mm. the bright, bright light of accountability. Yeah. And, and uh, there's, there's really nowhere to hide. And it becomes very clear who the right people are and uh, and who the wrong people are. And then the the magic there is that that insight is can then be carried forward and cascade through the organization because we change the depth and the quality of the people conversations that mm -hmm. that have to occur in an organization. You you can't achieve a quality results when you have an organization that's chocked full of B and C players. No. 100% agree with that. So on that point then, you know, what it's one of those things where you say hindsight's a glorious thing. It's all, it's in hindsight you would see that Jerry is is letting down the team or, or or having the slack. But what is the catalyst for those CEOs to ring you up and say, "Hey Mark, I'm having a I'm having an issue or we really want to get to this next stage in business." What's the catalyst for them to pick up that phone and ring you? Many of of my clients come to me through other clients. And so it's a little bit of, um, remember the movie, the Billy Crystal movie, when Harry met Sally, a, a mm -hmm. little bit of, I'll, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. I, so I think in that restaurant scene, I, I think there's a little bit of that, um, that, that, Hey, I, I talked to this person and they said, you've made a huge difference for them. We're experiencing some of the same pain points. Mm -hmm. Can we talk? And I think that's pretty common. But I, I think the overarching thing is this, this frustration that um, I'm working harder for not enough return than I think I should be right now at this point in the evolution of my business and my mm -hmm. role as a CEO. And remember, these are pretty sophisticated people. Yeah. Um, but it's just that things still feel harder than they should. Things feel slower than they should. Um, the business isn't yielding the, quite the results that they think it should. Not quite right. Yeah, and 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 these are people who don't suffer fools, nor do they have low tolerance for things. But even then, it's not quite. It's not enough. It's not mm -hmm. what it should be. And, and by the way, I'll also add: many of my clients also come to me uh, having worked with other coaches previously, mm -hmm. and um, you know, like like anything, you you should be evaluating and upgrading the professionals around you yeah. as you continue to learn and grow as a leader, right? And that could be attorneys, it could be accountants, it could be coaches and consultants, um, you know, and, and you should always be asking the question, am, am I in a relationship that has, has run its course or become complacent? Mm -hmm. And it's not judging, you want to hug and thank somebody for, for getting you to where they, they got you. But but there is a time to say goodbye and move on to the next thing to impel your growth further. Yeah, I completely agree. Let's go back in time then. For you, when you decided to make that decision and be like, right, I'm I'm setting up my own practitioner, I'm setting up my own training leadership company. What were some of your struggles as CEO back then of your own business that you can remember and you got through yourself? Well, uh, I got in my own way an awful lot. <laughs> and it. in fact, it's one of the reasons I wrote my first book, Activators, is in appreciation for my own journey, but then seeing that pattern in mm -hmm. other other coaches and consultants I knew, and frankly, in all of my clients as well. Um, but but this, uh, so if I, to break it down, I'll tell you like one, one thing specifically for me, I had to learn how to ask for help. 
Mm. And, you know, I was one of those people who grew up and lived my whole life like, oh, everything's okay. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Right. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Everything's great. I'm fine. I'm fine. And, um, and at the, you know, and things weren't fine always, but I, I, I sort of tried to be an optimist because I believe that by being an optimist, it was, it was the right thing for me to do to keep myself in a good headspace. Um, but it prevented me from admitting weakness and it mm. prevented me from asking for help. And it wasn't until I learned how to be more humble and, and ask for help that a lot of things began to change in a, in a positive direction. Um, and that was hard, very hard. Yeah. Love that. It's also incredibly dangerous when someone doesn't know how to ask for help because they're, they're in their own little bubble. They're going on their own little road. And there's some things, you know, as a coach, me, myself included, we get, we get to be put in this, I like to say a fortunate position that not many people do. Not many individuals can go into a position and work with individuals or companies and sit in the position that a coach sits in and sees that scope of, potential or flaws or whatever we see uh and if you're if you don't ask for that help then all those potential all that all those flaws they're not going away they're just getting bigger or smaller or probably at the end of the day it's going to end up in some sort of failure and i'm willing to bet that that person doesn't see themselves because they didn't ask for help well and here's the insight that interestingly, I'm a big Brene Brown fan, mm -hmm. and she has a great video that's uh, that's out there that's on the um, the elements, the building blocks of truth. I, I don't mm -hmm. know exactly, I forget exactly what she calls it, but it's the building blocks of truth. And one of them is this: um, if you are unable to ask for help, okay, or you believe it's a weakness for you to ask for help, well, then when someone else comes to you and asks for help you actually think less of them. Interesting. Right? And, and it's fascinating because think about it now. So I'm a, I'm a practitioner, I'm a coach. I have trouble asking for help. And, and yet, what are my clients actually paying me for? It's because they're mm -hmm. asking for help. And, um, and so I was out of integrity. As, as a leader myself, I was out of integrity because I was having people pay me effectively asking for help, yet I was incapable of doing it myself. And, um, and it's no secret that, that a bunch of pieces fell in place for me at the, at, the, at the same time. All of it came from what's in my head, but asking for help was one of them that was a critical inflection point in, in my practice and my ability to really be able to give of myself and do the things I needed to do to be there for my clients. Yeah, uh, it's one of those pin drop moments that the moment you ask for help, like you said, things just happen to fall into place. But it's not because it's happened; it's because you made it happen. Or, or even the moment you admit it's not okay, mm. and and then the next thing is asking for help. It's it's yeah. you know admitting it's not okay is is perhaps the first thing. On, being honest to yourself at the end of the day, that's that's what it all boils down to. Being aware and being honest to yourself. We and man, are we good at self-deception, right? <laughs> you know, you know, they say they say denial's not just a river in Egypt, Stephen. <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna steal that one, Mark. I'm gonna steal that one. I always say to my clients that we can justify anything we want to do in life. Oh like yeah. The good, the bad, the ugly. We can justify it. The human brain is great at doing that. Uh, I'm curious to know though, Mark, for you is you know, you, you overcome that, you you asked for help. How do you make sure you set yourself right now in present day 
keep keeps on top of your game. How talk to me about your environment and your own network? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a learner, uh, and again, I part of my change was to to really have integrity with everything mm. that I was preaching, so that I would be on a firm footing, right? And so being coachable and being a learner learner are two really critical qualifying factors for any client that I work with. And so I'm a learner, so I'm an avid reader. I also invest pretty heavily in my own growth and development. Um, and so, for example, in 2019, and of course this is pre-COVID, um, I spent six a total of six solid weeks away from home in a neuro-linguistic programming uh, certification course. Love it. Um, club. And uh, yeah, and um, and 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 for for context, I'm uh, I'm 53 years old, and at this point in my career, with a very stable practice, um, I am continuing to invest in myself, um, you know, and my own learning and growth. Um, and I have a, uh, and that was now that was a singular massive investment of time. I mean, that's a huge amount of time. Yeah. It's um, funny when I did my NLP training. Uh, I'm an NLP trainer, so I had to do all, all of them. As, I did as my, am I. As am I. Yeah. Yeah. When I did my trainer, when, when I did my training trainer, I did the exact same. I did it in like four or five weeks. Yeah. All in one, totally immersive. Yeah. Uh, but I guess you're like me then. You love that sort of learning style, though. Yeah. And and this year, I have another uh, uh, certification program that I'm working on. It's much smaller, but it's mm -hmm. a, it's yet another thing. Um, yeah. I'm in a mastermind group. Uh, of colleague coaches who I respect tremendously, who are very successful people. Um, and so I work very hard to keep myself surrounded with brilliant people who challenge me. Um, and, and in fact, even relative to clients, um, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you periodically, we'll, we'll have a conversation where I'll say, you know, I just got introduced to the CEO and wow, they're like really good, like, like really good. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'll say almost almost makes me wonder if if I'm good enough to help them. And then I'll look at her and I'll say, which is exactly why I need to win them as a client. <laughs> and and that's been my M.O. Right. And it's mm -hmm. kind of this this sort of thing as you climb the ladder one step, um, one yeah, you step want, at a time. You don't want to become comfortable doing what you do. No. And one of the always want to be pushed into situations which challenge you. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the tools in my book, Activators, is a change your neighborhood tool, and it's mm -hmm. designed expressly to make sure that you're not in comfort zone networks. That mm -hmm. you're you are surrounded by people who are really challenging you. And this kind of goes back to that upgrade your practitioner conversation we had yeah. earlier. It's it's the same idea. So let's go back to the CEO role then. If a CEO was in that space and they were their their network was their neighborhood was not helping them. What are some of the telltale signs when they're telling you about their network that you just think, no, nah, this, this isn't the right one? So a great question for that CEO is, are you a net contributor or a net beneficiary mm -hmm. from the overall intelligence of your network? And a lot in a lot of cases, you'll hear like, well, I'm a contributor you know, but I don't, I don't get a lot of, you know, a, a lot yeah. of stuff. That helps it's a one-way street. Right. And until you ask that question though, they don't really think about it. Mm. And that's what starts to get them thinking. Okay. And the problem is it feels good to be a contributor. 
right? Yeah. We're wired for that. We we want to feel helpful. And Not it's also in our, in our ego, we want to feel smart. And when mm -hmm. people are coming to you and you have answers for them, you feel smart, right? And so there's this weird set of rewards for staying in a network like that, mm -hmm. right? Whereas for people who like are in your face and really challenge you or scare the crap out of you, like, hey, that's uncomfortable, right? But, <laughs> but, and maybe I don't like that as much as being the one giving the advice or doing it to other people, but one of them is going to help me grow. And the other one is, is going to help other people grow. Mm. And, and yeah, you should have a balance of that, but it's got to be a balance. Otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, 100%. But on the flip side of that, you know, there are so many networking events, network, networks now, uh, masterminds now, you're in a mastermind, I'm in a mastermind, I run a mastermind. How, for a CEO, do they decide which path they want to go? Because it can be so overwhelming with the amount of information out there to help them, like all in good faith. But for them to actually implement and act, take action, they have to make that decision. How do they do that? You mean in terms of choosing a group, or uh, yeah, and choosing a group, choosing like for example, like I said earlier, you know, what is the catalyst for them to to work with you to get mm. it on that phone? Yeah, so they you have to look at the people that you're surrounded by and mm. and the quality. My my measure my measure is the, is this, um, and I and I wrote about this is. If you're not surrounded by people who, on average, make you really uncomfortable pretty frequently, mm -hmm. you're not surrounded by the right people. Yeah. Right? Whereas if you're surrounded by people who, on average, make you feel very accomplished and, and comfortable, mm -hmm. and that you're doing most of the right things you should be doing, that's not of high value to you. Yeah. Right. And so you got to be looking for, you know, those people and we don't stretch ourselves. So one of the 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 uh, elements of the change your neighborhood exercise is to actually think of a list of the 10 people on the planet who you believe would be the most beneficial to you professionally to know. Mm hmm. Who's, who's on your top 10 list around the world? Like it doesn't matter who it is or, or whether yeah. it's realistic or not realistic. Make the list. Great. Then pick off the top three and start working your networks to get an introduction. So because, when you made when you made your list, who was on it? So interestingly, one of the people I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, one of the people was Marshall Goldsmith. Okay. Okay. Who's a, who's a pretty well known author, speaker, and mm -hmm. coach. Um, and Marshall endorsed my first book. Amazing. Okay, and 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 that introduction would not have happened if I didn't go through that change your neighborhood mm. process relative to this, for sure. Now, with that, with that exercise, now you've had Marsh, now you've got Marsha in your network. If her name, you know, if their names are on a, on a ten top ten list, do you then replace that name because that person is in the network? Well, I mean, look, you got to work through the list and then get to a point where you're at the next plateau and then you can create mm -hmm. another list, right? There's, yeah. I mean, there's no perfect way to do this, but the idea is that you get off your butt and get take motion away from complacency networks. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to what we said earlier. It's about awareness. The more a CEO, an individual really, because this is all individual learning, it's not just special to CEOs, it's not just special to founders, anybody at any stage of their life, if they're implementing the things that we're talking about, 
and the and the amount of information out there like i said uh they're gonna they're gonna get further in their life they're gonna start reaching their goals they're gonna start um you know changing up their dynamics to help them perform better for you when how does it feel when you see a business and you've gone in and you've transformed that business from that ceo top level executive downwards and you're looking at them maybe a year or two after you've worked with them and you can just see that change how does that feel as a coach it's why i'm here mm. it's it's why i'm here and because I, I don't think about the, the, the leadership team or the CEO. I think about all the people who are employed by this company and their experience in their lives working for a company that is doing things the right way, right? As compared to all their friends who work for yeah. other companies that are like not great places to work or what have you. And then I think about the customers of the company and the economics that that this business is is driving and has the potential to drive. Um, so I take a very broad view as part of my purpose of of doing what I do. Um, and it's really powerful. it's It's really powerful. I mean, to me, it's it would be sort of small minded to walk away and say, "Wow, that CEO and the five people on the leadership team, I made them stronger leaders. Um, mm -hmm. Right. I think that's really narrow. Um, and that's actually not what I'm there to do. I'm there to to enrich the lives of the entire ecosystem of that company and drive economic value and economic performance. Yeah, exactly. For you, then, what's next? What's next in your business? What's next in your mission? Uh, and on the flip side, of that has the last couple of months changed that? Has that changed the vision? Uh, no. So the short answer is no. Um, I, I mentioned I'm 53 years old. I've had a very stable practice for years and uh, I've written two books now. And my aspiration is to get out and do more speaking and uh, and also more thinking and more writing and begin to decrease my coaching client load um, in favor of these things. And also, frankly, more more time, uh, yep. you know, more, more free time to go play and, and have fun with my wife. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of where I'm at. I have a pretty big following and footprint on LinkedIn. I put out content very regularly. Um, I have a, a pretty well-read newsletter on LinkedIn as well. That's published every other week. Um, in fact, we're, we're in the middle of a, of a, of a series on, on leadership myths. Um, the things that we're led to believe about leadership that actually aren't true. Um, give, give me a leadership myth now. Uh, inspiration matters, but not that much. Okay. Fear. Here's another one. Fear matters, but not that much. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think that's because people just get hung up on those buzzwords? Uh, I think it is. I also think, yeah, I think people feel like the emotional realm is uh, airy fairy. Mm -hmm. And as you and I both know, based on some of our training, uh, it is anything but that. Yeah. Right. So, um, so as a leader, you have to understand the dynamic and relationship between emotion and logic, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, then there's times you actually want to increase emotion and decrease logic. And there's times that you want to decrease emotion and increase logic, just depending on what you're trying to accomplish either within yourself or through others. Yeah. And, um, it's understanding these dynamics that give you true capability as a leader, um, as opposed to kind of buying the myths and also operating in your in your comfort zone which is kind yeah, of what exactly. you've learned and what you've experienced in your life i've come across many people that look at that side of things as very black and white and then what they try and do is they try and 
I like to say purchase the change. So they try and buy something, whether that's a physical item or a self software, or it's, you know, per purchasing your services or my services. They think as soon as that sort of monetary transaction is done, then the problem is automatically fixed. <clears throat> that's the and box. That's the box in the flow chart that says a miracle happens here. <laughs> exactly. Right? And it's, always outstanding to me when you go into an organization or you work with someone that believes that and they think and and then you unwork it and what really happens is that person has a huge transformational change which they will never have envisioned otherwise but it's also quite poetic the fact that they thought that purchase in the first place was that box ticking exercise in insight, you know, Stephen, you you hit it hit it so well. Insight, creating deep actionable insight in someone else mm. is a such a powerful thing to be able yeah. to do. That's why right? we do what we do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is. It's um, and like I said earlier, I I do truly believe that as coaches, mentors. Uh, we sit in this really unique position in people's lives. Uh, and I think only once you're, you've worked with a coach or worked with a mentor uh, and you start getting into that personal development, professional development side of things, you can start really seeing that privilege of that position. Uh, and it changes. Uh, it's so fantastic to see from where I stand how much the industry has changed. You know, you're in the States, so I, I firmly believe that the States is probably five, 10 years ahead in personal development and professional development than UK, Europe. But we're catching up fast here. We know the way people are consuming the, the information has completely changed in the past couple of years. Yeah. And I've noticed with my coaching colleagues from around the world that the, the concept of coaching is definitely far advanced in North America yeah. Uh, than, than in other parts of the world, um, Europe, especially, which is, is fascinating to me. Um, but it's coming on, right? It's yeah. coming no, on. It is, it and, is. If I speak it, to an American client, they, they kind of know exactly what to expect when they work with a coach, how it works, that kind of thing. I still speak to UK clients, Europe clients, prospects, uh, and they've never experienced it. They've never had coaching. And like you said earlier, often that conversation starts because, their, their founder friend, their CEO friend has just hired a coach mm -hmm. or they've just brought someone in. So it cr creates that that interest of what it can do for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is for a perfect sure. place to go. Mark, listen, one of my final questions to you is, and I'm putting you on the spot here, so I do apologize, but I don't really apologize, uh, is if you could give three key takeaways for a CEO founder right now to help improve their integrity of their business, what would that be? <clears throat> Number one, walk your own talk. Don't ask anyone to do anything that you're not willing or doing on, on your own. Mm -hmm. Small things and large things. And Because if you look at the things that bother you the most about the business or the people in the business, the odds are there's something you're doing or not doing that's laying the groundwork for that. So walk your own talk is number one. Number two is um, dramatically raise the bar on your tolerance for people in the organization. We give 
people too much of the benefit of the doubt and organizations are filled with B or C players who we sort of justify and think that they're A players, but mm -hmm. the reality is they're not. I just had an experience with a client this week where um, they, they hired somebody recently who's a superstar A player and they're just talking about how great this person is. And I said, stop, time out, time out. You know how you're talking about this person? What would it be like if you could talk about everybody in the company like that? <laughs> and they're like, whoa. And I said, yes, now you know, right? So change what you're tolerating, okay? Because the, the what you tolerate in the organization essentially dictates the level of performance mm -hmm. of the organization. And then my third uh, would be do not rebel against structure in your business. You have to have structure and process in your business, ironically, so that you can be agile like you want to be as an entrepreneur and as a leader. And so things like having clear priorities, having processes for how things get done, putting communication and meeting rhythms in place, um, creating a role accountability clarity for, for different positions in the organization, and on and on and on are structural underpinnings that actually don't decrease your ability to be agile and fleet-footed in the market, mm -hmm. but they increase your ability to do those things as a firm foundation. And many of my clients um, relied heavily on the structure that we put in place so that when COVID came along, at the snap of a finger, they were able to go to full-on remote. Uh, and I even had a couple of clients say, and Mark, within 48 hours, it was as if we didn't skip a beat. Everything right. just kept going on in the business the way, mm -hmm. the way it went on. Um, and it's because of the structure and the foundation that they were able to do that. Um, and so a lot of small entrepreneurs kind of think, well, I don't need that right now because we need to be fleet agile yeah. and right. And it's, that's a, that is a leadership myth if there ever was one. So that would and, be- And they can have both. They can be agile, streamlined with structure. For, for sure. And in fact, my argument is that structure is the prerequisite to be able to be mm -hmm. agile. Yeah. Um, because you can then be agile uh, essentially systemically, which is which is what you want, not just in response to something. Yeah, exactly. The, the most agile companies I know are the ones with the most systems in place. There you go. And, uh, and that, that it's, uh, those are two of my, um, that, that last point about structure and agility, those are two of my guiding principles that we've been using to help clients manage through the crisis. Mm. Um, the third is humanity. Yeah. Just to kind of close the loop there. And those three things have to operate in a, in a, in a very clear way in a leadership construct today to be able to be successful in the, this current environment. Perfect. Mark, I couldn't have put that any better myself. So thank you so much for that. Uh, my final, final question is, how do people find out more about you? How do people get in touch, follow your content, follow these myths of leadership on LinkedIn? That sounds great. So I've got uh, a couple of books, Activators, A CEO's Guide to Clear Thinking and Getting Things Done. It's on Amazon and uh, Audible. Uh, I have another book, Creating a Culture of Accountability. You can find that on Amazon. You can connect and follow me on LinkedIn at Coach Mark Green. Uh, you can also go to my website and look at my blog and connect with me there at uh, mark-green.com. I bet you were gutted when you searched Mark Green without the hyphen. <laughs> you know, it's actually funny. It, it was years in that web, this website. I'm happy to get mark-green.com because Mark Green is a super common name. Um, yeah. 
So uh, a couple of years ago, I got a pretty good deal on it and I jumped right in. So yeah, uh, life is good. Life is good, Stephen, when you can own your own name. Exactly. I'm quite good. I'm fortunate. Not many people have my surname. So yeah. I didn't have that issue, but uh, I, I completely get it. Mark, listen, thank you so much for coming on Founders 365. You've dropped a ton of knowledge, a ton of value, and uh, I'm sure it's going to take a lot of people some time to listen to. Stephen, it's my pleasure. Cheers to you. Cheers to your listeners. All the best. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. It's been Founders 365 with me, Stephen Haggerty.